I am here to talk about intuition. I guess I want to give some, some of a sense of, of what being intuitive means. What is it that allows us to develop it? How do we make more use of that faculty? And what do we really mean by it? Let me go straight to the heart of it as I see it. But intuition, it's not simply something about being able to know things. It goes much, much deeper than that. What I'm going to talk about is the how of the knowing and what it says to us about our place in the universe, our place in the world. The fact that intuition exists, the fact that we can do this at all, says something about our connectedness. It says something about our being as people, as spirit, as soul. It says something about the difference between what we conventionally think, what we're trained to think, and what most of us walk around most of the time feeling, which is that here we are sort of somewhere kind of defined by this physical body and quite separate and, and in a relatively contained space. It says something about the difference between that and the reality of the universe, which is infinite and unbounded and very connected. And to illustrate something about that, to take that image a little bit deeper, I want to tell a story. Uh, a few of you may have heard this story uh, before, it, or if you ever have read um, a book, a penguin book that's been out for quite a long time called The Secret Life of Plants, you may have come across some of what I'm about to uh, give a short version of here. It's a story of a man called Clee Baxter, who was an American who was, at the time he did switch in 1966, this is not new, he was America's foremost lie detector expert. So he worked you know, in, the, in, in the police and in the investigation services using the device that you've probably seen on the movies, which checks whether people are telling the truth by uh, measuring the change in skin conductivity, the way that the skin conducts electricity, according to how relaxed or tense people get when they're answering questions. And on that basis, it's supposed to be, or it is capable under most conditions, of telling whether people are telling the truth. One day, by some freak of inspiration, Clee Baxter decided to attach this lie detector to the plant in his office. Goes by the name of a Dracaena massengiana. But it's a decent sized plant, just to give you a sort of feel for the, the scale of this. And what he decided initially was that he would, he'd, he attached the lie detector to the pot plant and to see how it would respond to being watered. Now, if you know anything about electricity, you would expect that when you water the plant, more current would pass. But the trace that he got on the paper showed a fluctuation that was in the opposite direction to that. It was downwards, and it, was a, it had the pattern that is like the pattern that 
people give when they're experiencing an emotional reaction. And because of that, he got curious and he decided he wanted to investigate further. And one of the things that he would do when he was working with people is he would try to get an impression of how the person responds to stress when they're being questioned. And of course one of the most effective ways to get that kind of stress response is in some sense to threaten people's well-being. So he decided to try this on the plant and dipped its leaf in his hot coffee. Nothing happened. So he thought of a worse threat and he decided to burn the leaf to which the electrodes were attached. The very instant he got the picture of the flame and the action in his mind, the plant responded with a strong upward sweep on the graph. So he left the room to get some matches and found that while he was away the plant responded with another upward surge. And with some reluctance at that point, because he was beginning to realise the plant could feel what was going on, but he set about burning the leaf and he did get a reaction, but it was less than the reaction before when it was picking up on his thoughts. Later he went through the physical motions of pretending that he would burn the leaf and he got no reaction at all. So the plant seemed to be able to tell the difference between a real intention and a pretended one. So this is the beginning of quite a long story because he has other collaborators check his findings with other plants and with fruit and vegetables. And because they so consistently confirmed the findings he, w he was getting, he actually set up a laboratory to study the whole issue more extensively. To give a couple of more examples, one time he was demonstrating his work for a journalist and he hooked a galvanometer to, this time, to a philodendron. And he interrogated the journalist about his year of birth. He named seven years in succession, from, as it happens, 1925 to 1931, to which the reporter was instructed to answer no every time. And from the chart, Clee Baxter was able to select the correct year of the reporter's birth. So he decided to see whether the plant had a memory. This is going to change your thinking about your pot plants in your gardens. He set up an experiment where six volunteers from his police students drew a piece of paper from a hat. Five of those pieces of paper were blank. But the sixth piece of paper told one of those students to totally destroy one of two plants in a room. Each student, in turn, entered the room, but no one but the person who had the piece of paper knew who was responsible for the destruction of the plant. So having done that, he set up a kind of identity parade in which each of the volunteers went back into the room, and this time the, the plant that hadn't been destroyed had the lie detector attached. The plant showed no reaction to five of the students and the reading went wild when the sixth entered the room. The plants subsequently showed a reaction to simple cellular organisms. On one occasion it reacted to Baxter mixing jam with his yoghurt 
which he believed to be due to the preservative in the jam killing some of the yogurt cells. And he later supported this belief by a time when he noticed that he was running boiling water down the sink that was killing the bacteria in the waste pipe and it seemed to produce the same reaction. And because he was so interested in this reaction, he invented ways to attach his electrodes to single-celled creatures such as amoeba, yeast, blood cells, and even to sperm. All, all of those things were capable of producing similar results to those he was that he was receiving with plants. And sperm cells would respond to the presence of their donor. <laughs> Other people have picked this work up and taken it on, but, and, and so there, there's quite a mass of literature beyond Clee Baxter's work. And it, one of the things it reminds me of that's not in the um, scientific world, but in the um, film world, is E.T. I don't know if you all remember E.T., but do you remember the relationship that E.T. has with his chrysanthemum and the response that goes between them? I mean, I... I use that because it's just such a vivid image of the relationship and it also just puts a slightly different context on the film that, that it takes it less out of the realm of fantasy but that actually that connection is there it is going on and all this stuff that people make jokes about of talking to plants it's actually not a joke so why am I telling you all this? The reason is because I want to chip away at what I think most of us carry around most of the time in terms of our model, the model we have in our heads of what the physical universe is like. We're taken aback by the stories that I'm giving because they don't, they're, they're not what we think of as normal. But they are. They are. I mean, it's not, it wasn't a special plant. It wasn't a special time. This kind of thing is happening all the time. It tells us that there is a consciousness that connects living things. It tells us that that is going on all the time. It tells us that all living organisms, from yogurt to plants to people to animals, that all living organisms are doing this. It tells us that that connection is capable of identifying individuals, just as the plant was capable of identifying the particular person who was the cause of the destruction. That connection is very specific. It's not just kind of woolly and general. It's actually very focused to the level where sperm had some kind of connection with its donor. It's very fine and very subtle. And also that that consciousness is capable of knowing, of recognising one kind of mind-body experience from another. So the plant doesn't react in the same way to all kinds of different stimuli. It reacts differently to a positive or to a negative and there's some discrimination of, of what kind of communication, what kind of transmission, what kind of thought or emotion is involved. 
I don't know about you, but I went through school and subsequently through university and had a particular kind of training. I mean, some, some of my university course was sort of semi-scientific. And all the way through, there's a certain way of thinking that is being given to you, if, even if you didn't you know, even if you didn't go beyond age of 14 or 15 in education, there is a certain kind of thinking that is given to you about the way that the world works. It's very material. It's very anti-spiritual. I mean, I would imagine that most, if not all of you, have some kind of spiritual awareness or spiritual practice or, or something that you have a connection with a world, with a world that is non-material. But actually, for most people, that has been fairly effectively drilled out of them. So it's, it's outside you all the time, but it's also inside. It's our own voices. And it affects the way that you view what happens to you when you think or imagine or hope to deal with something like developing intuition. How does that affect the way that you are? How does it affect the way that you are when you're doing or seeking to be intuitive? How does it affect the way that you respond? Do you perhaps accept, I suspect probably most of you would accept, that actually the intuitive impulses are there all the time? I imagine that many of you have the sense that there are times when a thought pops into your head and you have no idea why and it might be the the simple things of, of you you think of somebody and then the phone rings and then they are there they are which which is a nice one because you actually got, kind of get a positive confirmation but there's also the many times when you'll be doing something and you get the feeling that there's maybe that you shouldn't do something or that you should change the route you're taking when you're driving or that the person you're talking to is telling you something that's not true. Lots of little kind of pinpricks of awareness. And what do you do with them? How automatic is it for you that when you get one of those little pinpricks of awareness, how automatic is it for you that you take it seriously. How often have you had the experience that that little prod has come and you've said, oh no, that's silly, and you've gone ahead and done what you already had in mind and then found out that it would have been better if you'd actually listened to what your, in, your intuition was saying, what your inner world was saying. It's all a mindset that we have taken on because we had so much conditioning and it takes or it's taken for me a lot of work, even I would say to undo a small fraction of that. I believe when I've undone it all that my awareness will be fully connected all of the time and there will be no doubt, there will be no questioning and that I will be all the time able to discriminate between my conscious mind and my intuition. I can't do that yet. But every year I get better and it has to do with two things, one of which is about believing, trusting, 
recognizing and allowing what's already happening. Some of you have a sense of that and perhaps what I'm wanting to encourage you to do is allow it more, trust it more, recognize it more. Be, just be listening that bit more for the bit of your mind that feeds something other than what your conscious thoughts and what your habitual chatter is doing. I have a very busy mind myself. My mind, I have to work quite hard to still my mind. Some people find that easier. So, for me, it's taken quite a lot of work even to leave the space in which those intuitive promptings are coming in normal life. But it makes a big difference when I do. It makes a big difference to how I function, how I work, how I function at work, whether I take the routes that avoid the traffic or not. Whether I have an innate sense of being in the right place at the right time. All of that, the more I work with this, even when I'm not doing it consciously, the more I work with it, the more I find that the flow becomes a natural part of my existence. See, what I'm trying to do with what I'm saying is to take intuition out of the space in which it's something that has a compartment, that it's something you do when you go and sit down with a set of tarot cards or when you go to a development circle or when you do whatever, all, all those specific things that people do with what I'm calling intuition, what some people call psychic capabilities, mediumistic capabilities. All of those things have a slight tendency to put it in a box and to make it something special. And it might not be a challenge to you, but it is a challenge to most people. If I say what I know for certain, because it's now over 15 years since I first taught a class, intuitive skills, and before that I'd experienced a number of classes taught by others, as I worked on my own, I have consistently seen class after class, whether taught by others or taught by myself, that everybody, without exception, everybody is capable of developing an intuitive capability. Whether, the, whether you believe that to be true of yourself or not, and I know most of you already do, it, that's a challenge to most people out there. If, if they have any sense of intuition as a possibility, they really think it's very special. They think it's a gift. It's only a gift in the sense that some people are lucky enough not to have had it turned off. But it's not a gift in the sense that anybody can have it turned on. One of the things that happens around intuition is that when you hear other people talk about it, particularly because a lot of the people who talk about or, or write about intuition actually were naturally gifted, and so they didn't have to struggle like I did. They think the way they do it is the way that it works. So you get somebody who easily sees pictures and they think that the way that intuition is and the way they write about intuition as if the way it's going to work for you is that you'll see pictures. Or you get somebody who has um, some sense of hearing voices or words or something verbal 
And they too, will, when they write about it or talk about it, they will focus on that the information is going to come verbally. And actually, there are other ways. A lot of people get their intuition through something which has no words and no pictures, but has just a sense of knowing, or that an, an idea just appears. It's quite disconnected with your normal five senses mechanisms. It actually comes into your, more into your emotional body, your feeling body, than it does into, your, into the realm of the five senses. This is the, the second message that really I, I want to give very strongly today, is that in learning about your intuition, one of the first things is actually to find out what kind of an intuitive faculty it is that you've got. Find out how your inner sensing mechanism works. It isn't even necessarily the same as how your primary mode is in the outside world. I mean, some people are very visual and, so, and in, in the way they perceive the word. Some people have a lot going on that there's a kind of verbal description or they, they see the word somehow in, in language terms. If you're aware of having an intuitive experience in your daily life on, on a regular basis, think about what kind of mechanism it, that was that it came to you in. The intuitive sense is so vast, I mean, just huge, unlimited, that we're not used to thinking about what it really can do, what it really can mean. You may have heard that there are people who have predictive dreams, that they dream about something that's going to happen the next day or sometime in the future. What does that mean? What it means is that the intuitive function isn't time-bound. It doesn't know that time starts here and progresses only in one direction. It doesn't live in what's called linear time. It's outside time. It does something which scientifically is impossible. It is capable of going into the future and having information about something which, as far as our physical world is concerned, the way we usually experience it, has not happened yet. If your intuition is trained, or if you've learned how to use it well, you are perfectly capable of projecting your mind to what is happening now in Tokyo or Perth or New York and knowing something that is happening on the other side of the world. It's not, your intuition is not bounded by space. It's also not bounded by what you think of as, as normal dimensions. One of the things that, that I teach and may well teach in more detail in the future is the use of the intuitive faculty in a healing or medical context. 
there are gifted people who can who can do this incredibly well but it's quite possible for you to take your consciousness to a microscopic level and to know what it feels like to be inside flesh to be inside heart tissue to be inside a liver to be inside a brain it is possible for you to learn how to map that inner world so that you could work with a person and you can feel whether a brain is he healthy you can feel what's happening in the heart you can detect where problems are occurring in the body and that involves seeing not with an eye that is geared to you know people who are five or six feet tall not geared to seeing long distances but geared to it, it's a, a different scale of perception that is as if you were looking through a microscope your mind your intuitive mind is capable of doing that it's equally capable of getting inside your car and diagnosing that it doesn't have to be uh, it doesn't have to be living tissue not something I've ever done but I've known people who've known what was going on what went wrong with their car when it happened there's actually nowhere that you can't go with this and I you know I think that really is is quite something and I it it presents such an such a wide field of possibility that whatever it is you might be passionate about or interested in if you want to add into that passion that interest your intuitive faculty you can develop your develop it just to work in that area I you know I, th I think that's that's an in, uh, uh, an enormous resource our disposal as individuals or at the world's disposal it's one it's perhaps our greatest untapped resource <laughs>